Hi everyone, this is Jeff. And this is Russ. When we first started Home on the RNG, we began it as a series of videos, and we produced quite a few before we realized it really works better as a podcast. Whoops-a-doodle. So we apologize if any of these early episodes have any visually heavy references that don't transfer to the audio medium. Whoops-a-doodle. Thanks for listening. apologize in advance for this episode. I'm dealing with some allergy stuff, so I'm going to cough my way through the episode. And I'm, I'm sorry. a cyborg, apparently. <laughs> and Russ is more man than machine, which is why he's always slightly out of focus. Right. I think I have the soul of an ancient god living inside of me. What are you doing with that? That I hope will manifest maybe by 35. <laughs> so we are here today not to discuss Russ's bizarre <laughs> fantasy life, but to discuss another sequel, yeah, Dragon uh, Quest yes. Two. We're on sequels. That's exciting to me. Yes. Because generally sequels are better than what came before them. So. We did do a, a, a sequel before. Is this our first sequel? I've forgotten now. I've forgotten as well. Yes. This might be the first sequel. No, we, no, we, we did Lufia Two. Lufia Two. Yes. This is the second. This is the sequel to our show about sequel. Right. Uh, so without further ado and nonsense. Let's get into personal history with Dragon Quest II. Dragon Quest II slash Dragon Warrior II. Yeah, uh, and we're not going to dive into that again. If you want to see that discussion, go watch the first Dragon Quest video and your comment. So I played Dragon Warrior II, like most of these RPGs that we review. I played it for the first time when I was a kid. Um, I had the original NES cartridge. Um, it was actually the last of the NES Dragon Warriors that I played. Um, I played four first, then three, then one, and then two. Um, so it was kind of an interesting experience doing it when I was a kid because um, it was the last one, so I'd already played three and four before this one, which obviously had a lot more going on. Um, so this one was a little basic for me. Um, but I did play it and enjoyed it, and um, I have played it again recently, 20-something years later. So I'm excited to talk about it. So this was actually my first time to play Dragon Quest II, but I am a fan of the series overall. I've played most of them now, except for three and nine. Uh, those are the only ones I haven't played, and I have a feeling we'll do three at some point, so that'll catch me up. I like Dragon Quest actually quite a bit more than the Final Fantasy series at this point. Because whereas Final Fantasy is constantly trying to reinvent itself, Dragon Quest seems to stick to what works. And they build off of the same elements, the same familiar elements, the sounds are the same, the monsters are the same. But they tweak it, you know, it's not the same game over and over again. They tweak it, they introduce new stories, but they stick to what works. As opposed to Final Fantasy, which after seven, just every game had to be something wildly and completely different than the last one. So, yay for Dragon Quest overall. And for me, like for some of you perhaps, this was my welcome to Dragon Quest II. So as usual, I have prepared a story synopsis and Russ is here to talk about the characters. Yay, which are Fascinating in this game. Nuanced. Very, yes. More dynamic than any other characters. Following the defeat of the Dragon Lord in the previous game, the hero's descendants ruled the world in peace for generations. And then Hargon the Wizard broke the peace. And now it is up to those descendants to gather the mystical artifacts of their ancestors and defeat the wizard once and for all. That's dramatic. That sounds like it's a very involved story. It is. 
That sounds like there's going to be a lot going on. You're going to... A lot of plot twists. A lot of plot twists and turns. uh, Betrayals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gonna visit a lot of different regions. The game may be a little light on the plot, is kind of what we're driving at. Yeah. Uh, but is it light on the characters, Russ? Well, the characters are amazing. I have never <laughs> played with such in depth characters. You have such uh, memorable characters as the Prince of Maidenhall. What's the prince's name? Prince. Prince. You have the Prince of Kanak. What's his name? Prince. And the Princess of Moonbrook named Prince. And the three of them journey together to destroy the evil Hargon, who has absolutely no presence within the game beyond the last five minutes. Well, no, he shows up. He's kind of mentioned in the prologue. There is action. There's a a cutscene in the beginning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is more than we got with the first game. The first right. game didn't even have this action cutscene. The, the cutscene is a little misleading <laughs> on how involved <laughs> the plot of this uh-huh. game is going to be. It's well, actually a pretty good cutscene for 1980, whatever. Well, and you compare it to so Final Fantasy One came out about the same time Dragon Quest Two did, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't recall Final Fantasy One having any actual cutscenes at all. No. It's just controlled what the player, whereas this one at least opens with action and drama and you learn a little bit of the story. But Russ is right, that's kind of the end of the and story. And then it never happens again. Yeah. Uh, but we are talking about very early technology and just learning what these video games could do. So the, the fact that the characters are one-dimensional and the fact that the story is almost non-existent is par for the course. It's hard to hold that against Dragon Quest II because it would be shocking if that wasn't the case. Right. You have to think about what was modern in video game technology in the 80s. And, in fact, this game does push the envelope in a few areas, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Because next, unless you have anything else to say about the characters or story... I wanted to know more about the Prince of Canuck's sister. Did you? I wanted her to join. And Hala, I remember her name was Hala. And she, uh, like, holla! Yeah. No, I don't know. I was trying to make a holla Batgirl reference, right, yeah. and uh, I realized there was no way I could make it funny. Yeah. And I, Well, I succeeded beautifully. Yes. Um, but no, I wanted her to join. I wondered why she had to stay home while the Princess of Moonbrook traveled with you. For the record, the interest, here's an interesting thing okay. that most people probably won't find interesting, but I do. <laughs> it's that you're, um, you get to know, like, all the Dragon Quest games, pretty much, you get to name your protagonist. Mm-hmm. And then the names of the prince and princess are randomly generated, depending on what you have named the I protagonist. I did not know that. Yes. Mine were Lars and Gwen. I don't remember mine at all. I can't help you. So they really captured your heart. It was, it. To be fair, uh, so we... we we filmed several episodes at once of this because Russ lives in a different town. I've addressed that a couple of times, which means I played Dragon Quest II for this review months ago. <laughs> months ago. Behind and I, the scenes. And I play these games a lot faster than Russ yeah. does. Like, a lot faster. I don't know what his problem is. I like is. to take my time and enjoy things. Russ has got issues. So anyway, the names of your prince and princess are different based on a hexadecimal um, equation. I actually basically. do find that interesting. Yeah, and there's like there's eight or ten different names that you can get for the prince or princess. That's fair. And some of them are really weird. I'm glad that I got like pretty normal names. I actually that almost belongs in innovation because that's pretty neat. Not, yeah. I don't. I can't think of another game that does that where mm-hmm. your characters' names are randomly generated based off what you name your. And there's character. actually, if you go to game FAQs, there's a guide as to how to get what as to how to like. get what name. It gives you the hex equations for um, how to get what name you want. So, anyway, for just, completionists, yeah, just a little tidbit. This game isn't mine until my companions are named Steve and Linda. Right. If you're into like programming math, you can look that up on Game FAQs and manipulate the names. That is mildly interesting. Okay, thank you. (laughs) So we'll move on to the combat system. Yay! There is not much here. Um, In many of our reviews, I have used the Dragon Quest battle template 
to describe how combat <laughs> systems work in other games. This is that template. I mean, it is yeah. first-person perspective. It's just the same as the previous game. The only difference is you now have multiple party members to pick from. But and multiple enemies. No more one enemy at a time. Like yes. The first one. You can see multiple enemies. The multiple enemies can form up into subgroups. Mm -hmm. So, like, two slimes, but you can't pick which one of the two slimes you want to attack. You just say, I want to attack that group of slimes, and your characters will attack one of them. So what's more annoying? When you encounter three slimes and they're all in the same group, or when you encounter three slimes and they're all separate? I'd say when you encounter three slimes and two of them are in a group <laughs> and one of them is separate. Yes. Because the That's game does true. that. It groups so randomly. Yeah. Uh, and you can still attack enemies that aren't there anymore, which I've always hated. Yes. If an enemy is defeated before you take your turn, I guess... <sighs> I always, is that like a limitation of the NES somehow? Because I feel like, because I don't think it was until the Super NES Dragon Quest that they even were able to remedy that. Or the Final Fantasies, even though we didn't get all of them. Well, see, I wonder if it's a limitation or if it's designed that way on purpose. And if it's designed that way on purpose... It's dumb. Well, I wonder <laughs> if the reasoning is to force the player to ha use more strategy or if the thought is this combat actually happens all at once. Like, we see it as turn-based, but in reality, yeah, all of these yeah. moves happen at the same time. True. Um, I can see that. I can see, like, two warriors going after the same thing at the same time, and, and one kills one, the other one, and yeah. the other one just whiffs. Yeah. Or maybe it was just, this is how these games are supposed to be made. This yeah. is... That way the player has to strategize and play. I hate it. I just don't think... I absolutely I can't remember a, an RPG until the Super NES era that didn't have that. Uh, I'd have to look back at the games yeah. we've played. But, yeah, no, I, I've always hated it, and it's still present here. But apart from that... And when the enemies are grouped into the same group, they normally never hit the ones <laughs> that you want them to. Like... Fighter A and Fighter B are not going to hit the same monster to kill it. No, Usually, they're going to weaken, they're gonna they're gonna weaken the, both right, of them. They're going to hit somebody different. It's very annoying. It is. Uh, so it's wonderful when you finally get spells that just hit the whole enemy party. Which is very late in the game. <laughs> but very useful. <laughs> very useful. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much all we have to say about combat yeah, system. Just, it's, it it's, is it's the template for... It, yeah, it is as standard first-person turn-based combat as you can get for a reason it's not like we're playing these games in some kind of you know we, we played them all over the place playstation and then back to nes and then forward into so the, this game came out it set the template it created it if you're very old like we are and you played these games back when they first came out then these were all Revolutionary and building to what we have now. Yeah. So know your fundamentals. You exactly. Know. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and move on to something this game does have some of innovation. Yay. So for innovations, I think what we're doing is we're comparing this mostly to the previous game mm -hmm. as well as talking about innovations in general. For example, an innovation in this game, as the second game in the series, you have party members. Yay! Finally, you you're encounter not, multiple not there monsters. By yes. Somebody, you somebody friends. could have carried the princess for you if you had party members in the first one. Yeah. Or the princess could have joined your party. That's true. Um, so while that's not an innovation to our JRPGs in general, it was an innovation a at the time, and b to the Dragon Quest series. Right. Uh, the world is actually much, much bigger mm -hmm. than the first game. You don't just explore one series of interconnected islands slash continents. No, the first one was all on one continent, and it was like there are bridges, five towns. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But what is kind of fun, this game is actually so big that at a certain point you you get to go back to the original continent that the first game was on, and when you set foot on that continent, the music changes back. The enemies right. are back. This is set a hundred years later, or hundreds of years later, I forget. You're like the great-great-grandchildren. Yeah. 
written from the first Dragon Warrior. But it's actually kind of neat when you set foot on that continent and the old music from the first game See, I was going to say that. Did you notice, too, that the music changes once you have your entire party of three? Yes. The overworld music starts as one thing, and then once you finally get your three... Um, your, you know, your two companions to join your main character, you get more of like a jaunty, jaunty overworld map tune, which a lot of Dragon Quests do. So I like that. I like that. For someone that doesn't know a lot about music, it's noticeable and it's a fun When it changes touch. for a yeah. reason. And then when it changes when you land on the original game map. But the, one of the reasons I'm bringing up the original continent is it is proof if uh, it is solid quick proof that this game is so much bigger than the last one because the original game is basically contained in a corner of this one right the original continent with most of the original cities the original monsters the original game is mostly still there but now there's this whole world wrapped around it and it's kind of amazing that there's that big a difference mm -hmm. one year later on the same system right so it's such a bigger map. Um, I will say this game also had kind of uh, one of the issues Breath of Fire had with the extremely unfocused narrative. True. Right? You're told you got to go defeat this wizard, but most of the game is just wandering around the world hoping you run into a relic. Yeah, once you, once you get a ship, the world opens up, I thought, almost too much because it doesn't, once you get that ship, there's no more guidance. Really tell you anything else to do. So you have to just wander aimlessly until you start talking to NPCs and like piecing together little bits of plot and like what you're supposed, where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. Go everywhere, check everything, hope you find all the items. It was part of the NES era of sort of like artificially making RPGs longer by just not giving you any Well, I don't know if I'd even blame it on the NES era, because I don't know if you played the original Ultima games on the PC, but they were very similar in construction. Like, you're the hero, here's who the end boss is, here's a world, go. Yeah. And it was very much wandering around trying to figure out what you're supposed to do next, which is what this game is. And this is kind of a higher order idea or whatever, but what I find interesting is that that's kind of where Western RPGs have stayed, and then JRPGs have become the, like, story-driven, character-focused things we think of now. I mean, you look like Skyrim, and that's what Skyrim is, is you just kind of drop somewhere, and you just... You have the whole world to explore. You just have the whole world, but JRPGs have see morphed that. into this, like much more linear but very character rich and story rich you don't think about it with these older games but this really is kind of an example of a sandbox game here's a world there's a quest in there go find it uh but no i get what you're which saying is the funny which is the which is the what am i trying to say the sort of the cycle of life of rpgs is that dragon warrior is based on those old ultima and like wizardry games from the United States, and now we have games from the United States that are trying to grasp into that Japanese storytelling. It's a fun circle of life. There but is actually one thing this game does. It's a very philosophical game, <laughs> apparently. It's very deep. There's one thing that this game does that I very rarely see. In fact, I can't remember another example of in JRPGs. There is a moment where you have to turn off the game in order to progress. True. Uh, I, I, I hated it. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's you're waiting for somebody you, to build you something. Well, you, to construct the princess's final garment armor. Okay. You have to take it, it to the town. You have to take the, the, th the yarn that they'll use to make it, whatever. You have to take it to the town, and then the guy that will make the dress or whatever for her will say, well, I'll work on it and come back later. Yeah. And you I think, think he says, come back tomorrow. Something like, yes, because you think that you just need to go, go stay, stay at the, at the inn. inn. But no, you can stay at the inn for an infinite number right. of no. times, and he's never finished that garment. You have to turn the game right. system off, then turn it back on, and then it progresses. Like, the game actually keeps track of whether or not you turn the game off right. to progress <laughs> the plot, which I thought was very interesting. Like, I, I'm not sure I would have liked that as a kid, but I, I find yeah. it very interesting. I wonder if the thought was like, okay, you've played enough video games for one day. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't remember that moment when I was a kid, but <clears throat> I probably got frustrated and gave up and then thought like, I'm just going to go to sleep. 
And then, <laughs> the you know, next came home from school the next day, and I'm like, oh, he finished it. <laughs> 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 like, there was a little man in my NES that whole time. <laughs> he was working while you were at school. He was sewing that dress. Uh, so the first game, you could only save at the starting town with the king. This game, mm -hmm. you still can only save with kings, but there's more than one, mm -hmm. but not every town has one. And sometimes old men will just let you save. Sometimes, yeah. So, but, it's, but it's kind of arbitrary. You kind of have to learn which cities you can save at and which ones you can't. You kind mm -hmm. of have to keep track in your head of, okay, I can't save at this town, maybe I can save at the next town. Mm -hmm. It also introduces the return spell, which will return you to the last yes. town you saved at. In all future iterations of this game, you get a list. You get to travel and back to any town you want. You go to any town you want. You know, want. it actually took me a minute. It took me a little bit to figure out how the return spell was working. Because I thought it was returning me to the last town I was in. No. And then I didn't. It does. It returns you to the last town you saved, saved at. Mm -hmm. Which, when you're playing on an emulator and using save state yeah. instead of saving the game as often. If you never save, yeah. that would take you back to Maiden Hall. Exactly. The first town. Uh, and then, of course, because it is an early Dragon Quest game, so much grinding. Yeah. Because that was just part of the experience back then. Again, kind of an, I think, kind of an artificial way to make the game longer. But Probably. Still. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we moved on to our expert topic of nothing, music? Nothing specific, except parts that I liked, which are that you can go talk to, like, the grandson of the old dragon lord. I did like that. From the original game, and he basically just says, like, <laughs> I'm out, people! <laughs> like, there's somebody more evil than me, and you need to go kill him. Like, I'm nothing anymore. You can go through the original end dungeon, which was the dragon lord's castle, and it has all the same enemies and traps and everything. Mm -hmm. And if you get to where the end boss stands, there's just the end boss's great-grandson right. just chilling and you don't fight him he just he's like i thought i was gonna take over the world but now there's this guy so yep i thought that was fun i i liked that i liked re and revisiting the it's completely unnecessary too like yeah. you don't need to do it no. um I, I liked visiting the king from the original kingdom in the first game and he also is just like well <laughs> i'm done did you see him did you go meet him? i can't remember okay because he's, he's not on his throne. He's just locked himself in his bedroom. Oh, no, I did not. And he's like, him. hey, people. <laughs> he's like, I guess this is all your responsibility now. Because Hargon is just too strong for us. <laughs> so I liked, I liked, so despite the lack of the story, there are those little kind of funny touches of things that I like. Hidden in the corners Hidden, of the game. Right, yeah. And I liked the, um, out of spoiler or whatever, but in the last dungeon, when you first enter it, it just looks like the castle that you start in. Yes. Which I do remember was very disorienting to me as a child. I was, I thought the game had glitched. I actually remember that, thinking like, what has happened that I'm back in, and I think I had to look at my Nintendo Power or something. <coughs> so it has some fun little things like that. It does, it does. Uh, and the Dragon Quest series in general is, known for having kind of that cutesy sense of humor about itself. And I think this is where that started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and talk about music. Yay, my favorite part. So you may have noticed, Russ and I, again, not musical experts. And we're constantly. What are you talking about? And we are constantly music. hunting for somebody who can do music in these video games some justice. Anything by Dolly Parton. So I'm going to ignore Russ and tell you that uh, we have recruited my friend Mike, who actually does write music video or video game music reviews for various websites. The guy actually knows what he's talking about. So we are going to cut to our hotel room for PAX South in San Antonio, where we got to talk to Mike about the music of Dragon Quest II. Hey everybody! Welcome. Welcome to Home on the RNG on the Road, I guess. <laughs> uh, we're in San Antonio for PAX South, which happens to also be the hometown of our special musical review guest who actually knows what the hell he's talking about with music, as opposed to Russ and I. <laughs> See, he's doing this. 
but I glanced over at his script. Like, Russ and I write this much, and like, eh, that's all right. He's got pages. This this man... I, I'm indebted to those who came before me, and so I'll, I'll give appropriate shout-outs uh, throughout here. But uh, just to introduce, this is Mike Hughes. He's a staff writer for VGMO, Video Game Music Online, uh, in his... Day career, he he works as an information librarian, no instruction, instructional yeah. librarian at Trinity University. So, a fairly smart fellow, as opposed to us bumbling buffoons. Yeah. So, Mike. Yes. The Dragon Quest Two music. Yeah. So, Dragon Quest Two. So, I uh, thought it would be good if we just sort of start with your impressions of the soundtrack or your recollections. Um, if I if I mention the name Koichi Sugiyama to you. Well, I've obviously heard of him because I've played every Dragon Quest. Okay. <laughs> I've played almost every one. Yeah. I don't know the guys. Yeah. <laughs> and because the Dragon Quest, especially that intro theme, um, right. has stayed the same That's right. virtually yeah. um, throughout the whole series. Um, so I am familiar with him. Okay. Just for Dragon Quest. And I... Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with the Dragon Quest themes that are used in all the, song, in all the games. I didn't know the guy's name, okay. but I assumed it was probably the same guy working on the whole series since thematically the music all seems similar throughout the series. Right. And, and that is a pretty remarkable thing because at 86, uh, Sugiyama is still composing for the franchise. Um, in fact, he just completed the soundtrack for Dragon Quest XI last year. Um, so at 86, he is uh, probably the preeminent game composer in the world. Um, I can't think of anyone to rival him except for maybe Koji Kondo or Nobuo, uh, Nobuo Umatsu. I actually and, know that name. That might be the only JRPG <laughs> yeah. composer name that I know. And I think it's telling that, you know, in terms of influence and stature, we can certainly mention those names alongside Sugiyama, but Umatsu has actually credited Sugiyama as a chief influence on him, and at one time called him the quote big boss of game music. Um, so his his he casts a very long shadow, and um, you know this is someone who had a long and fruitful career before he came into video games. Right, he was um, a classically trained composer. In 1958, he graduates from the University of Tokyo, and he enters the film and television industry in Japan. And so he's, he's scoring for anime, he's scoring for films and commercials, he wrote pop songs for uh, the, the singers of his day. Um, so he was something of a celebrity. Yeah. Um, Do you know something here? You wanna... No, I'm just, oh, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I'm so fascinated this is, by the history lesson. This is remarkable um, because uh, it, it was very unusual for someone of his stature to score music for games. And so there's a kind of a turning point when he begins to work with Enix on Dragon Quest because this is arguably the point at which people begin to take video game music seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's a, an oft-repeated anecdote here that I'm going to give again, um, which explains how Sugiyama became involved with the franchise. Um, he's actually a very avid video gamer, and he played an NX game for the PC-8801 called, um, I'm going to have to look this one up here, uh, so it's Kasuro Morita's Shogi. It's a Shogi game. Oh, well, with that one. Well, you know, uh, I was, yeah, exactly. I was just playing that on the way over here. So um, so he's playing this Shogi game, and he loves this game so much that he writes a fan letter to Enix. Um, and he tells them basically, you know, I really love this game, and I like video games a lot. Um, yours truly, Koichi Sugiyama. And the people at Enix are just like, Oh my God! Somebody noticed us. You know, just like so they have this fan freakout, and they write back and they they basically invite him to. I don't know if it happened quite this way, but they reach back out to him, and by turns he's invited to come and do music for for Enix. So his first project uh, for the company is a game called World Golf, also on the PC eighty eight, and. Um, so he does this game, World Golf. Well, his very next project is, you guessed this, Dragon Quest, right? Um, so the first Dragon Quest has uh, a kind of, uh, it has very little music, right? Um, it has what is, what is now called sort of the eight melodies approach to RPG music, which mm -hmm. set a template for RPG soundtracks for years to come. Um, and so this is the approach in which um, every major section of the game 
has a kind of thematic entry. So town, castle, overworld. Cave. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you right. can see that, so we're certainly going to see that in Dragon Quest II, but you can see that um, all the way up to the, the present era. So of course soundtracks have gotten more elaborate um, and, and longer, much longer in some cases, um, but that basic approach is still very much intact. Um, so some other firsts here that I think are, are worth mentioning. Um, you know, again, I mentioned that uh, uh, having someone classically trained come into games, that was a, you know, a first. Right. Um, but it brought a kind of prestige to game music that... that makes sense. Right, that was, you know, previously missing. And so one of the ways that we can gauge that is um, an arranged version of Sugiyama's Dragon Quest music was the first to be performed live by a symphony orchestra. Um, that established a series of concerts that were repeated for years and years of, up to the present era. Um, and it was also the first video game soundtrack to be issued commercially. Um, so the nice. reason, yeah, I, I did not know either of those things. Uh, I think I already mentioned that um, that uh, Sugiyama is an avid gamer. So he once told an interviewer, "I'm just going to read this here. I think it's worth reading at length." So I don't drink, and the things most adults spend their time on, like karaoke, golf, mahjong, I spend that time on games. I often get asked by people, what's so fun about playing with an artificial mechanical companion like a video game? Uh, this may be something that uh, we hear from time to time too, right? <laughs> um, so even back then. Well, his answer to that is, this is a machine made by a human, and it represents that creator's feelings and ideas. So Dragon Quest was made by Yuji Horii, Nakamura Koichi, other producers, and myself too. It's a piece of our personality. So when I'm playing a video game, I feel like I'm playing a game with the creators. I like that. That's very profound. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that makes it games that we love, like yeah. Persona 4 or uh, Final Fantasy 4, these sorts of right. Chrono Trigger. It makes, actually, it adds an extra depth to that. I like that. So uh, it's a very sympathetic response, right? At a time when games were comparatively primitive. So right. I think it's, it's interesting that he was much more thoughtful about that experience that he was having than um, certainly uh, my parents were about the games that I was playing <laughs> um, at that time. <coughs> so this is someone who never never felt that games were a waste of time or inferior in any way. I mean, again, he's, he's working with some of the biggest names in Japan uh, doing music. His, his work has been compared to pro composers like Handel and Bach even. And so for him to come and do work on this very primitive platform is pretty striking. And he never, you know, he never discussed this work in a way that made it seem like it was reductive or that he was, you know, doing someone a favor. Mm -hmm. And I think that carries through the music. That's right. partly why, why it's so timeless and why people still love it so much today. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we, as we mentioned at the top, um, Sugiyama is still the composer of Dragon Quest, has always been the composer of Dragon Quest. Which is impressive, because we, we say he just did 11, but there's also like dozens and dozens of spin-offs. Right. All of which, I don't know if he's the composer for every single spin-off, but they all share the musical themes that he created yeah. in the first place. Right. right. Uh, I don't know that there's a Dragon Quest spin-off that doesn't start with the same opening theme. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, that's um, one of those critical pieces of music that just completely, right. it takes the player immediately <laughs> to that universe, right? You know, you're, Dragon in, Quest. you're in Dragon Quest. Exactly what you're gonna um, get to. And so this is not the only franchise for which Sugiyama has composed. Um, he has various credits uh, throughout his, his gameography, shall we say. But- Are there um, any other notable ones, do you know? Well, I think it's striking that, um, that his work on Dragon Quest is basically unbroken from 2001 2017. If you go and there's a really nice list on Wikipedia, and if you go and look at that, uh, it's just Dragon Quest titles, including their spinoffs, since 2001, um, when he last composed music for a game called Derby Stallion 64, which we have not played. <laughs> uh, the horse racing games are not yet. Right. Uh, as soon as this video is over, though, we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Derby, Derby Stallion 64. Right? We're going to do tournament style. Um, it's going to be great. So this this is, um, as you've gathered, this is the franchise for which he has done the most work. Um, and even when, when other composers come in to do work on Dragon Quest, um, gosh, there was a Dragon Quest game for the Wii. Do you know what it was called? I think maybe Dragon Quest Swords? There was Dragon Quest Swords. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, that soundtrack was composed by Monami Matsume, you may know as the composer of the first Mega Man game. But even then, um, 
she's sort of beholden to the work that's come before. And so what, very often you have composers coming in and they're just doing arranged versions of his songs. Right, so, right. Um, I'd like to point out, yeah, I never this, is the, this is the first time Mike has met Russ, and he yet instinctively knew, hey, there was a Dragon Quest for the Wii, I'm going to ask you. I, because I there's no way this, and I didn't. I have it. I just, so, I like that he immediately yeah, picked up like, hey, Japanese games, that guy. Yeah, nice. It was good. Um, it's the aura. I'm just like sipping on your aura. Yeah. You can't see that, but it's very nutritious. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so Dragon Quest II, uh, there's just under 20 minutes of music, so it's very, very brief, not including the sound effects, which um, I, I believe he also uh, was responsible for. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning here that uh, at, at the time of Dragon Quest II's development, um, game composers were as much programmers as they were mm -hmm. composers, right? So mm -hmm. um, this is a little beyond my ken, but um, in terms of how this was actually done, but you, know, you had to program uh, this music in, note by note, and it was difficult, right? It had a kind of level of technical difficulty. Well, um, that is not something that Sugiyama did, right? He relied on Enix developers to kind of translate his compositions, mm -hmm. but he wrote them in such a way that they would play nicely on, um, again, what's very primitive. Very limited. Time, yeah, yeah uh, basically, you know, beats and two beats. channels, two channels for melody, one for bass. Um, and one for static, which is also used for percussion. So it's kind of it's kind of remarkable what he's wow. able to do with yeah. Which is still more than I knew yeah. already. Um, so shall we listen to some music? Sure. sure. So oh, getting started here. So I, I think we we should begin at the top, right? Where else to begin of except course. with the main title? Right. And so uh, this this fanfare made its debut in Dragon Quest, and of course is um, is still the. With very minor variations, is what we'll hear all the way up through. They they just them. seem to add more right. instruments. Yeah. Is what happens. All right. So this is main title. Okay. The white just tears. <laughs> It's a very triumphant tune. Absolutely. It's like you've already saved the day. Right. So, main title. This is, like you say, it's a fanfare. Um, these sound like horns, right? Right. This sounds yeah, like you're certainly you're uh, entering maybe like a king's court or something, right? You're being heralded. Yes. Um, so you have three I've voices. Wanted to be heralded. Well. This is for you. <laughs> this, is, this is now the music when I enter a club or whatever. This is so here you've got you've got those three voices. Two are very bright channels. They are mostly playing in harmony, um, and then you have that triangle wave kind of pulsing away in the background, and that's your bass line. Uh, the pitch is high, cheerful. This is a very optimistic song. Mm -hmm. um, this is music that urges the player forward, and I've written here. You know, again, the, the image that comes to mind for me is very much that the castle gates are swinging open and you're kind of walking down this long red carpet which sort of right. ends in a you know, throne and a waiting sovereign. That's what comes to mind for me. So, uh, so that's the main title. Um, let's listen to Overworld 2. And so you've just played this game. Yes. So if I play this, like, what, what are you seeing? We're in a town. Actually, no, this is the Overworld theme. This is, this is the one that uh, I told you reminds me a little bit of the Little Nemo soundtrack, the NES game. Oh, is this, okay. That was as far as my musical analysis went. It, there, there's uh, kind of a cheeriness to it. Um, All right, it's very upbeat. Yeah, that's so you as hear far. Watch out here. So you have one channel that's just doing a kind of rhythm guitar, let's say. Um, so it keeps rhythm by alternating between two notes. Bump, 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 bump. And then the most prominent channel is the one that carries the melody, right? You know, I can notice that part. Yeah. <laughs> here we have the, of course, the bass channel comes in as well, but only, this will be harder to hear now. Um, maybe you can splice a piece in here. Yeah. The, the bass kind of, um, is withheld until the refrain, and then it comes in and it adds two notes that kind of play off of that rhythm channel we mentioned before. Mm -hmm. 
and then that creates a kind of contrapuntal melody to the, the main melody. So this is, this is a track that's a little more complex than, than the main title we just heard. But very pretty. Um, and then let's listen to one more selection, Lost You Have Requests. Anything? No. What stood out for you? Is there anything that you found yourself humming as you were doing the dishes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the traditional Dragon Quest sounds. The, the opening obviously sticks with you. What we just cut off, which I think is the dungeon crawler, it's the cave music from the first game. That sticks out. For me, one of the most notable, and we mentioned this in the innovation section, mm -hmm. one of the most noticeable things for me was when you actually visit the continent of Dragon Quest One and Dragon Quest Two, they bring back in the music from the first game. Right. So that stood yeah. out because it was... Uh, some thematic cohesion between the two titles. Yeah, just as soon as... It's the one area in the world, as soon as you set foot on this grass, you're back in Dragon Quest right. One. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. So this isn't uh, uh, as... Uh, Memorable isn't quite the word I want. Uh, I don't think you catch yourself humming this quite as much, but it's it's certainly worth playing in terms of contrast. Uh, this is the the theme for Malroth. So you've got the dark, menacing tones. Mm -hmm. Something's looming. sounds very methodical, slower, chords are minor, so, and you have, easier to hear in headphones especially, but when the two channels play uh, together, they kind of buzz, there's a very harsh dissonance to this, mm -hmm. which is appropriate given uh, the entity for which this is composed, right? <laughs> a god of destruction, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. So that is Dragon Quest II. Okay. Were there any other points you wanted to hit before we wrap this up? Uh, just that um, I, a lot of the the music here is again it's stuff that you'll hear um, uh, throughout uh, other games, especially the resurrection theme. Um, there's not a lot of of long selections here. There's a lot of jingle. Um, like work, so we can listen to the victory fanfare. <laughs> it's a good note to end on, right? There you go. Another you one. That, level. Yeah, another <laughs> one that um, will be familiar to, to Dragon Quest fans. Um, this is really lovely. Um, actually, you can tell me where in the game you hear this. Can we? Russ, where do we hear that in the game? So that's called Echoing Flute. It's a very... It's just a... It's a, a jingle, I suppose. The... the Yes, that. It's very simple. It's very pretty, though. And when I... you... Um, to find the crests. Oh, that's To right. find the five crests that you need, you use the Echoing Flute. When it got to that little uh -huh. piece at the end, that's the piece that plays when when you find when there is a crest yes. when you have played okay. the flute okay. and there is a crest in the area. You're <coughs> Thank God, Russ is here. Yeah, and if we didn't divulge this, I don't think I'm giving away anything. But um, my approach to the soundtracks was to come and listen to them as one who has not played the game, whereas uh, these two gentlemen have, and so you're getting two kind of different yeah. contrasts: one um, music in context, and then. For me, it's just approaching it as a listener. Well, music in context incompetence. And, <laughs> and, uh, my, and I've, I've said this so many times. My friend came up with a brilliant term to describe me and Russ, which is musical agnostics. Like, oh, I like that. It's there. It's there. Um, yeah. The game is better for it. Yeah, no, I could say that. I would definitely it. notice if the game did yeah. not have any music, but music. Yeah has never been something that like grabs me and I and that's a failing with me I think I, I focus on other things I enjoy other aspects so much more uh, for me it's story when I'm playing a video game it's all yeah. about the story but like a movie I'd notice if the music wasn't there right but this is the reason why we need to bring in somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about because Russ and I talking about music is sad right well I think you know I'm glad you mentioned that actually because one of the other things that um, 
that Sugiyama has discussed in interview is his approach to composition. And um, I think games are very often likened to movies. Um, and again, at a very early point in his composition career, he said, I really don't think that's accurate. They're more like ballet. You think, ballet? And he goes on to explain, well, the ballet has a very, typically, right, has a very simple narrative. You're not there to, to focus on story, right? There's enough of a story kind of hold the, the dance together, but you're there to watch the movement of the dancers on stage. Um, and it was the same for his games, at least original Dragon Quest entries, where the, the stories were very simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not there to play the, you're not playing for the story per se, right? There's enough of a story, the five MacGuffins. Right. To, That's very true. That's yeah. very true of those early games. And so there's there's more attention paid to these very strong and memorable melodies because he wants the player to hear the music, to enjoy it, to recognize it, and crucially to be able to listen to it hundreds and hundreds of times. Right. Like <laughs> um, On an endless loop. And and so it, it's it's certainly much more prominent and catchier than it would be um, if it were a movie because then very often the music is is there. Um, to create a certain mood, mm -hmm. um, but you, as the certainly if you're a first-time viewer, you're not meant to be focusing on that music, right? It's you, you're you're feeling a certain way because of it, but you're focused on the uh, the dialogue and the unfurling of the plot and so forth. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, okay. I, I think that's enough time for Dragon Quest Two. Dragon Quest Two. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Very thank insightful. You. It was my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so Mike will join us next for our next game, so you can look forward to him there. Uh, we'll see you guys next month. Uh, Russ and I have to get back to PAX. Yeah. So I enjoyed this game. Um, I like the Dragon Quest series in general. I was excited to play this one because it <laughs> means that we're moving on in the line of Dragon Quest games, and we play three soon and four soon, um, and those are all fantastic. But I I do enjoy this game. Um, it would I would I would overall give it a B plus. Um, the grinding is a little even for someone like me who likes occasional grinding. Um, it's a tad much in this game. And then, of course, there's not a ton in the way of, of characters or story. Um, but it is a fun little game, and, you know, like we said before, it's the foundation on which future greater games are based on. So I had fun, and I would say B+. I feel a little bit about this game like I did about Mother 1, which was I know it's leading to something good, but I, I had a difficult time appreciating this in and of itself. And it's just because of the things we pointed out that are normal for its age. Uh, the lack of focused narrative, uh, the mechanics being extremely vanilla, the grinding especially. Uh, I am a Dragon Quest fan. I love where the games get. Uh, shoot, even, even the fourth one is great. Uh, the fourth one on, I've enjoyed all of them. Six a little less so, but that's my own personal taste. Um, C plus. That's as good as I can do. I, I I will probably never play this game again. But it's not on that list of thank God I never have to play it again, like uh, Arcana or anything like that. Um, but I don't picture myself picking this up and replaying it for fun. Uh, and that's just because I hate grinding. And there just there wasn't much here. There wasn't much meat on these bones for me. You know, I play games for stories, and this one didn't have much of one. So, there you go. Where do they go if they want to play Dragon Quest Oh, Two? you have so many options. So you can play the original NES version, which is what we played. Um, you could play the Game Boy Advance remake, um, which is actually bundled with the remake of Dragon Warrior 1 um, on the same cartridge. Um, you could also just grab your iPhone or Android device, um, and play it there as well, because there is an iOS version that is completely updated, new graphics, new everything. Why and didn't we play that one? Because then you wouldn't get the experience of a child, of a, of a young child. In I'm not a young yet. child anymore, Russ. I haven't been for a year and a half. Yeah. Well, I'm 400 years old, so 
I'm trying to experience my youth. Okay. <clears throat> um, yep, so NES, Game Boy, or basically any, <clears throat> excuse me, any mobile platform, um, and that is just fast. The game is, I've played it. I've played exactly. it on my phone, and it's just faster. Like, you still have to grind and stuff, but everything's just quick. Everything moves at a faster clip, and there's updated graphics and things, so, um, but other than that, it's essentially the exact same game. <clears throat> so you got a lot of options if you want to experience the Dragon Warrior slash quest, too. Next time, we'll be discussing a game that you have less options if you want to play. Which is just a travesty. <laughs> a game that neither Russ nor I had played before. This was this one was really exciting because I've played basically all of these before, and I have never I had never played even a minute of this game. I had watched like two minutes of somebody else playing it yeah. once many many years ago, uh, and that was it. I remember to want anyway. We'll get into I'm that next time. My seat. Uh, so next time it is Skies of Arcadia Legends, Legends on the Nintendo GameCube. Yay! You don't want to miss that one. Yeah, don't Unlike miss this episode, it's gonna be a good episode. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we'll see you there. presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaur productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Mike Hughes can be found on Twitter at MobilesWorking. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you. Nevertheless, I did play it and beat it, and now I have recently played it again. Someone's having a coughing fit, so I'm probably just going to have to do this over. <laughs>